man, I'm thankful to be here tonight. Thankful to be able to to uh, preach God's word. Um, man, I, I probably should have. Uh, whenever we're singing that the last song that Chris led us in, uh, "Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come." I just felt like jumping up and down and pumping my fist and everything. You know, it's just. Uh, you know, God, God's so good to us. So, uh, um, if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16, that's where we'll be uh, preaching from tonight. Pastor told me to have fun, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to have fun tonight. Uh, I want to take a quick uh, poll, I guess, of the people of the church. There seems to be a debate as of lately as to what color my shirt is. No, no, no. Okay, so if it's if you think it's pink, raise your hand. If you think it's orange, raise your hand. It's orange, period. I said it. It must be the lighting. This shirt's old. Maybe that's maybe it's faded. What's that? No, no, just uh, this is orange too. Trust me. Okay, okay. All right. So uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am colorblind, Branson. I thought for sure I was right, but. All right, Matthew chapter 16, if you found that in your Bibles, go ahead and stand with us this evening for the reading of the Word of God. Go ahead and find verse 13, and we're going to be reading there through verse 20. Matthew 16, verses 13 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this night, God, help us this night, Lord, to interpret, God, your word the way you would have it to be interpreted, Father. God, help me to preach it, God the way You would have me to preach, Lord. Help my thoughts to be Your thoughts and my words to be Your words, my actions to be Your actions. God's Spirit, I beg for Your anointing, for Your unction this night, God. Lord, I know it's not by might nor by power, but by Your Spirit. God, anoint Your people's ears to hear, God, and their eyes to see and their hearts to be softened and and unchained this night, God, to receive the truth that's in Your Word. We'll give You all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. All right. So here we have Jesus. He is, uh, from what I understand, he's entered 
the third year of his ministry. Um, I'm not sure how far into that or how far from the the passion, the crucifixion, and everything we are. But from my understanding, he is in the third uh, the third year of his ministry, and he takes his disciples, <coughs> excuse me, to Caesarea Philippi. And I think that it was by no mistake that he took them there. I believe that Jesus, in everything he did, his teachings and everything, um, he had an, a purpose for all of it. And I believe that he had an absolute purpose because he was the greatest teacher. They called him rabbi, which means teacher. But I believe he was the absolute greatest teacher of the Word of God ever. And, I, and we'll get into that a little bit. But uh, So he took him to Caesarea Philippi, which was uh, a town originally. It was, on the, it was on the plateau of Mount Hermon. It was about a thousand feet above sea level. Um, it was very lush, very green. And it was a beautiful part of Israel. Uh, it was originally <clears throat> named in honor of Caesar and Tetra, uh, Philip the Tetrarch, or I believe, uh, was it was actually it was named after Caesar, Augustus, and Philip the Tetrarch. As we know that Israel is under Roman rule at this time, so um, so it was, it was probably and still to this day I believe it is probably one of the most beautiful parts of Israel. Uh, it's almost kind of a lush oasis in the middle of the desert, if you will. Um, Meg, if you would go ahead and uh, put up that first picture. Um, hopefully this comes out good. Um, but Caesarea Philippi, it was also an epicenter, if you will, of false god and idol worship. Uh, some of the idols who were worshipped were uh, the Greek god Pan, which had a human upper body, a lower body of a goat. Uh, and and I studied this, uh, found that, that Pan is actually where we get like pandemonium, uh, pandemic, those words. A, a god of chaos is what he was. Uh, other gods that were worshipped were Baal. And also, uh, Caesar Augustus was worshipped there. And if you see this picture, this whole thing right here was uh, basically all dedicated to Caesar Augustus. On the left side uh, of, of the picture was a temple decorated solely to the worship of Caesar Augustus. It was made of the finest... Uh, marble, I believe it was. It was, a, it was a white rock. I believe it was marble that they used. Um, so, and, and also, uh, you can go ahead and take that down, please. Um, and in this area of, of Caesarea Philippi, historians have found and counted no less than 14 temples of worship in the area. So, like I said, I, it would be an epicenter, uh, if you will, of false god and idol worship. So, it was also the most northeastern source of the Jordan River. Um, I should have had you keep that up there. But uh, in that picture, directly behind, if you'd put that back up there for a second, I'm sorry, directly behind the temple dedicated to Augustus Caesar Augustus is a cave or a grotto or a grotto as, as it's called in Greek. Uh, I'm not sure the exact pronunciation. But behind that, you'll see an opening, and that's a cave. From inside that cave was the most northeastern source of the Jordan River. So, going back through the Old Testament and everything, you can go ahead and take it down again. I'm sorry. Uh, you're doing a great job. 
So, so is the most, ether, most northeastern source of the Jordan River, which undoubtedly, looking through the Old Testament, the Jordan River was a very important piece of Israel's history. Uh, they, they had a lot of attachment to it. Um, baptisms, crossing into the Promised Land through the Jordan River, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, into the land of Canaan. Uh, it, it was just a very meaningful place for them. And... Uh, so we find that Jesus, of all places, takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. It says he came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. And I believe that that picture I showed you right there, that's exactly what it looked like in Jesus' day. I believe that that is the exact spot where Jesus took his disciples to ask them this question. He asked him, who do people say the Son of Man is? And I like, you know, he doesn't say, who do people say the Son of God is? Who do people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? I thought about that. You know, for me, it's easy for me to refer and think of Jesus as the Son of God and as God. But we have to remember that he is just as much human as he is God. He is a perfect, uh, I don't know if blend is the right word, but He is absolutely 100% God and 100% man. The Bible calls Him the second Adam. So we know that He had uh, desires like we do. He got hungry. He got tired. Um, He was just as human as you and I are. And I think that sometimes... Uh, for myself, I'll speak for myself, I don't picture Jesus that way so easily. But the deal is, if I don't picture Jesus as 100% man, that makes me a heretic. Because He is 100% man and He is 100% God. So he, he takes them all to this epicenter of false God and false idol worship to ask them, who do you say the Son of Man is? And some of His disciples said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And we'll stop right there for a second. You notice all those people, John the Baptist, Elijah, and others said that people may have called him Jeremiah. Every one of those names there preached repentance. Should we think Jesus preached anything less if some people were saying that he might be one of those men. Jesus demands repentance. He demands it. Um, I don't know why I, I stopped there for a second, but uh, but he demands repentance, uh, and and he certainly preached it. So verse uh, fifteen, he said to them, but so he first he wanted to know who people thought he was. Now he wants to know so disciples. You twelve, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replies, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus tells, I'm sorry, Peter tells him, he says, you are the Christ. Does anyone know what Christ means? Okay. The title, it, it, the, 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 the Christ or the Messiah basically mean the same thing. I've got to find this scripture. And it means anointed. 
There we go. I don't know why I didn't have that marked. So Peter tells him, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay. So, so he's basically telling him, Jesus, you are the anointed one. You, Jesus, are the anointed one, the Son of the living God. We find in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus, verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, given to Jesus, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And Jesus speaking here, reading from the book of Isaiah, the, the scroll of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Peter was telling him that you are the anointed one to proclaim good news to the poor and proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Peter was telling him that. That since that is what the anointed one means. And Jesus declared in Luke chapter 4, as we just read, that He is the anointed one. So here we have... You guys pray for me. I normally don't write a lot of notes for whatever reason I did tonight. I do not want to be bound to these notes. Um, so just just pray for me. Um, so he, Peter tells him, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, you are the anointed one, Jesus. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So let, let's stop right there for a second. There are some things in this life that only the Father can reveal to you. In fact, what I'm going to be preaching here just shortly is something that it was revealed to me through Scripture, but is one of those moments where it's an, like an aha moment of revelation when God just shown Himself to me. But, but He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but My Father who is in heaven. The Bible also says that, like I said, there's some things that the Father can and will only do. Only He can. Jesus said in... Uh, Oh, where is it at? It doesn't matter. Jesus said, No man can come unto me except my Father, or my Father which is in heaven draw him. There are some things that only the Father can and will do. That the Son doesn't do, the Spirit doesn't do, but the Father does. And the Father revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Messiah, was the Anointed One. So first... Notice how Jesus answered him first. I, I, I want to step back a second. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which means Simon, son of Jonah. He was referring to him as in reference to his father, who his father was. Uh, and and that'll, that'll make more sense here in just a second. So, Verse 19, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, he says, first, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is now revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, so Jesus, the very next sentence, Jesus calls him Peter. 
In my mind, I think that sometimes after we realize who Jesus is, who the Messiah is, that we mature in our faith, that we recognize who God really is, and we we get off of the sincere milk of the Word and we grow up and we recognize that Jesus is all that we need. He's all that we have. He's all we'll ever need. He is everything. That then we become an adult. So Jesus calls him Peter. He no longer refers to him as uh, in reference to his earthly father. He now calls him Peter. Um, I just can't help but think that that that's that, that that's kind of what's going on here in, in in my mind. That he that that Peter had shown maturity. That he had shown that hey, you've been listening to my teaching. You've been listening to what I've been saying, and in doing so, the Father has shown you, Peter, you're not an adolescent anymore. You're not a child in the faith. You're growing up. You're becoming a man. So, he calls him Peter. And then he says, and on this rock... Okay, hold on. Back up for a second. I'm not even going with my notes. Um, I'm way ahead of them. So, so, and you, the verse, it says, and you are Peter. Peter... In the Greek, it means it's the word petros, which means a rock. Uh, it, it means uh, larger than a stone, which I can imagine a stone would be something that you would throw, um, but rock. Um, and I, I can only imagine that it's not incredibly big, but it's certainly not very small either. And that is the word petros. So. You are Peter, and on this rock, that word rock right there is the word Petra. And I, I was reading, I don't, it was on a Saturday morning, I believe, and uh, I was just praying, and I was on my knees, opened the Word, and I read this, and I thought, I'm going to find out, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, what this Scripture really means. And I, and I always wondered, because you hear people talk about, upon this rock I will build my church. Some people say that the rock is built, or the church is built upon Peter. Some people say that it's built upon Jesus. And in my mind that morning I thought, maybe it's the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. So I got out my concordance, I got my dictionary out, I studied all this. The word Petros, Peter, uh, means a rock, but not a, larger than a stone. And the word rock is Petra, which... I remember how this all happened. Uh, it is the word Petra, which means, the in the Greek, it is the feminine version of Petros. And I read that, and I just sat there. And it was kind of one of those things where it, it kind of shook my faith a little bit. I thought, okay, God in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. We know the Spirit is a He as well. Why on earth is the word Petra in the Greek referring to a feminine version of Petros? And I, I did some study on it. And... The feminine version of Petros, which is Petra, means a mass of rock. A giant mass of rock. Like a cliff is what that means. 
It is, uh, if you will, the mother rock. That's kind of how I, how I picture it. Because um, mothers are big, babies are little. Uh, that's just kind of how, you know, I pictured it. Uh, but it is a mass, like a cliff rock. So we know that that automatically rules out that the church is built upon Peter if they're two different words. So who is the rock? Jesus was clearly speaking of Himself in this passage. He says, Upon this rock I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I am going to need my notes. Um, so... But without a doubt, we learn here that Jesus... I'm having fun tonight, guys. We learn that Jesus is the rock. We, uh, and un, and all, these men, these are all Jewish men, these twelve disciples. So, He takes them to that place once again, which is a giant cliff, a giant mass of rock, that have, has a temple of Caesar Augustus and a couple other buildings, and there's, there's uh, niches, I believe, niches cut out in the wall to put false idols and stuff where people worshiped at and everything. But this gigantic rock in front of them that the River Jordan flows out from, uh, flows out from the inside of the cave is where the Jordan River comes out. So, and, and the rock, obviously, uh, when we go back through Old Testament, it was very significant to the Israelites uh, in the Old Testament. It was nearly 60 times in the Old Testament is God called the rock. So in Psalm 18.31, it says... Uh, let's, let's remember before I read the Scripture. So they're at this place. Though they're at the cliff with all these false gods, false idols surrounding them and Jesus says upon this rock I almost picture him like pointing to himself you know like upon this rock I will build my church that's I mean that's just kind of how I picture it uh they they had to have known that he was referring to himself but Psalm 18:31 Psalm of David says for who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God you know, I just, uh, there is only one God. I think that's what Jesus was getting at here. He was telling them, I don't care if you're, these people worship Caesar Augustus, Baal, Pan, there is only one God. There is only one true and living God. Um, and that's Psalm 18, for who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God? Isaiah 44 verse 8. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. So he's saying, look at all these. Is there a God besides me? That's what, that, that's almost, I, I can almost see him saying that or insinuating that to his disciples. Like, look at all these gods. They, they are false gods. There isn't one. There is but one God. 40, Isaiah 44, 8 again. Is there a God besides me? There is no other God beside the Lord. No other God besides Him. There is no rock. I know not any. Psalm 18. I'm going to read this. 
Yeah, I've got it marked. How about I just turn there? Psalm 18, verse 1 2. Um, I love you, Lord. O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. And that word right there, I forget what it is. It's actually Selah. I did write it down. That, that word is S-E-L-A, Selah in the Hebrew. It means lofty, craggy rock. And there's another word also which means like a mass, like cliff, like a sheer cliff. But so many times the Psalm of David, uh, Psalms of David refer to the rock. Uh, Moses in Numbers 32, I believe, it's a Psalm of Moses. Um, he refers to the rock several times in there. But in this Psalm of David, he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock and him I, in him, in whom I take refuge, my shield and horn of salvation and my stronghold. So the rock, it is a place of refuge. It is a place of security from trouble and storms. Um, That's one thing, you, and you referenced it earlier uh, in uh, Elijah whenever he had uh, like hidden in the, the crag of the rock and God spoke to him, not in a whirlwind, not in all that, but he spoke in a still small voice. I thought about that. that that's the thing is that the crags, you know, those places, they were refuge for the Israelites uh, during storms, during times, I can only imagine David when he was being chased by Saul for all those years, uh, that he probably hid in the rock. You know, that's probably, he was hiding in the desert. Uh, I can only see how he refers to God as a rock in that, in his security. It is a hiding place for him. Psalm 62, verse 6, He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. So He is a firm foundation. The rock is a firm foundation. Uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. But verse 24, everyone, everyone, this after Jesus gives a Sermon on the Mount, this is the closing to His Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of Mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell. By the way, that word rock there is Petra. It is the mass, uh, the giant mass of rock who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had not been founded on the rock. I'm sorry, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So we see here that the rock, the mass, the Petra is a firm foundation. It stands the test of rain and floods and wind and all that. That the Petra, the firm foundation, stands the test of all that. Every trial, um, every storm in life, uh, the rock stands the test of that. Stands the test of time. Um, 
You know, that's one thing is... Go ahead and put up that second picture, Meg, please. That uh, the church of the living God, the one true and living God, it does stand the test of time. You know, the Bible says that God preserves His Word. And uh, even through the, the first century and just several other centuries early on in the church, there was a lot of heresy uh, that came into it. Um, false teachers. Um, but in all that, the one true and living God has, has preserved His church. He has preserved His Word um, and we still have the absolute Word of God today. Um, I'm thankful for that. So, <coughs> so we, we see that uh, once again, Jesus built the church on Himself. He didn't build it on Peter. He didn't build it on a small boulder. He built it on a mass of rock. This is what this the picture I showed you before. This is what it looks like today. There was an earthquake uh, in the 1800 something, uh, I believe. It may have been sooner than that, but instead of the water, the water used to come out of the cave and then down and then on down through Israel. But now, because of that earthquake, um, the water now comes out at the front, as you can see. Um, but what, obviously, the biggest thing that's not there anymore, you guys remember there was the... Uh, the temple of uh, Caesar Augustus was there. Right there. And it is no longer, obviously, there anymore. Inside that cave there, I'm going to try to hurry. I'm, I know it's getting late. but uh, Inside the gate there, or the cave there, whenever there used to be the water used to come out, Josephus, the Jewish historian, he had written that inside of there where the cavern was and the water came up, it was called the gates of hell. The reason they called it that is because every time anyone tried to measure the depth of it, it could not be measured. They would lower cords down with, I'm sure, stones and stuff tied to it. They could never measure how deep it was. So a lot of people think it was referred to or called it the gates of hell. And I believe that that could possibly be what Jesus was referring to when He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, I'm going to try to hurry here. But obviously the temple dedicated to Caesar Augustus is not there anymore. Uh, the gates of... there I, I forget when it was. 70 A.D., I believe, uh, Arabs came in and destroyed the temple and all this and everything. Um, that, that temple, historically, that's where it was. But archaeologists and some historians argue about it if it was even there because there are so few remains left over. Um, so I think it, we could say the gates of hell probably prevailed against the, uh, the temple there dedicated to Caesar Augustus. But the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God because it is built upon the rock, the one true and living Jesus Christ. Um, I need to get back here. I'm looking in the wrong place. After Jesus 
recognized Peter instead of Simon Barjona. He called him Peter. He had grown up. He didn't reference him to his father anymore. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus gave him authority after he realized that he was the Messiah, the anointed one of of God. Uh, Jesus gave him spiritual authority in earth. Uh, Pastor talks about sonship. Uh, I believe that that's a this is a good reference to that about uh, the the authority that God has given us through His Word by His Spirit. Um, Verse 20, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Chris, if you want to go ahead and come up. Um, Verse 21, he says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. There's just sometimes whenever you... uh, get to a certain point and you recognize who God is, that He is the Messiah, He is the Anointed One, He is the Rock, uh, he, is, he becomes the Rock of your salvation. Um, the Lord starts, He obviously gives you spiritual authority, but I believe He also starts to give you, uh, show you new and deeper things. Um, if Jesus had told them that He was the Messiah... Or if, if if he I'm sorry if he, if he would have told them before this time that he was going to have to suffer the death of the cross by the leaders of Israel, they probably would have thought he was a lunatic and who knows what would have happened. But after they realized that he was the Messiah, the Anointed One of Israel, that's when he began to tell them that he was going to have to die on the cross for us. Um, so I ask you this night. I uh, kind of feel like I've been all over the place a little bit, but do you know the Lord? Do you know that your faith is built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ? Is your faith built on the rock? Is your house built upon the rock or is it built on the shifting sand that we talked about in Matthew chapter 7? If you haven't built a firm faith in Jesus Christ and built a foundation upon the rock of Jesus Christ and come to know Him as as Savior. There will be time for you to do that tonight. You come and talk with me. You come and speak with Pastor Branson. Uh, We're going to open these altars in a moment. If you want to come pray, you want to come talk to either of us, uh, please do so. Maybe tonight you've got a struggle, a trial, uh, whatever it may be. I'd say just uh, hide in the rock. Cling to the rock. It is a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. Um, These altars are open if you want to pray.